Hey there, my name is Roy and I am the lead pastor here at Arthur Pentecostal Assembly. And you're joining us this morning for our online service. We're so glad that you've joined us. We're glad that you're worshiping along with us as we dig into God's Word. Now we're into part two of a series that we began last week. A series that's going to take us right through to the month of July. The series is called Dear Church and it's based on the seven letters that Jesus sent to the seven churches that we find in the book of Revelation. These were seven actual churches, and when these letters were sent, they were a message not only for the churches of that time, but it was a message for the church of today. That means not just the universal church, but APA as well. We're going to be looking at Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And it is a letter that was written to this church in a city called Smyrna. Last week we looked at Ephesus. Today we're looking at Smyrna. It says, To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. In other words, Jesus is speaking to you. He says, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. Today, we are going to be looking at the persecuted church. Now, the church in Smyrna, as we just read, was commended for their persecution. Last week, when we looked at the church of Ephesus, Jesus commended them, said, you're doing a lot of things right. But he also warned them that they had seemed to have lost their first love, their love for him and their love for each other. But for Smyrna, Jesus is all compliments. Let's pray before we jump into the rest of this message. Lord, I pray that you'd help us with our lives. Help us be closely tied to you and have our lives associated with you. Lord, let our lives be so glaring in the face of darkness and our love be so strong that we would be persecuted for it. In Jesus' name, amen. You ever been to a big sporting event? You'll recognize that there's a much different experience if you show up and you're rooting for the home team rather than if you're rooting for the opposing team. I mean, I've been to games in Toronto, whether it's for the Raptors or the Maple Leafs, where when the winning team, your home team is winning, everyone's happy. Everyone is cheering. Everyone's high-fiving each other. You've never even seen this person before, but you're high-fiving each other, complete strangers, because now because of your association all on the same team, you are now family. But go to an away game. That's a different story. A few years ago, I went to a Detroit Red Wings hockey game in Detroit. Because we live close to the Michigan border, it was quicker to go to a Red Wings game than it was to go to a Toronto game, which the Leafs are actually my favorite team. But we just wanted to see what would it be like, what would a Red Wings game be like? Um, And so even though they weren't playing the Leafs, they were playing the Nashville Predators, we decided to go. So it was me, my old boss, his son, and my father-in-law all decided to get in the car and drive to Detroit for a game. Now my father-in-law is an actual Detroit Red Wings die-hard fan. He's, 
He's loved them since he was a kid. The rest of us were all Toronto Maple Leafs fans. Being Leafs fans, there's just certain teams that you just grow up not liking. Not, not just not liking, but hating. And at the top of that list is the Montreal Canadiens, but not too far down the list is the Detroit Red Wings. And so while I didn't really like Nashville, the Nashville Predators, I decided on that night, being a Leaf fan, I am going to temporarily become a Nashville Predators fan and cheer for them on that night. In fact, I made a pact with the other two Leaf fans that are with me that when Nashville scores, let's stand up and cheer so loud. As luck would have it, Nashville scored the first goal. And as soon as they scored, I stood to my feet and I began to cheer. I was like almost obnoxiously loud cheering. And the other two, well, they, they totally bailed on me. So here I am. I'm already committed at this point. It's just me by myself. And I'm like, yeah! And I was, I was all in. And I continued to stand cheering loud. Now, when you cheer with the crowd, you really even can't hear yourself cheer. Because the crowd is loud, there's music playing, there, there's, sometimes there's fireworks. But in this case, it seemed like I was literally the only Nashville fan in the building. No music, no fireworks, no one else cheering. It's amazing how quiet the arena is in that moment when you are cheering on your own. And I, I could sense all eyes in the arena are on me as I stand cheering. And they all say the same thing. Let's get this guy and throw him out the back door. Being the opposing fan in Detroit can be a risky venture. You take your life into your own hands. I once wore a Tim Tebow jersey to a Detroit Lions game, football game. It was the only football jersey that I owned, and, and, and he didn't play for the Lions. You might remember Tim Tebow. He played in, briefly in the NFL, but he was mostly remembered because for his strong Christian faith. He would wear eye black where he would write John 3.16 in chalk on the eye black, and, and he took a lot of attention because he would, he would kneel on the field before every game and pray. And so... Tim Tebow became this person that people either just generally loved or they hated. And it wasn't always, I hate you because of the team you play for. It was, some of it was, I hate you because you identify as a Christian. And so I'm, I'm wearing the Tebow jersey in Detroit. And at one point, the crowd behind me, and I'm talking thousands of people, start chanting, let's go Lions, Tebow sucks. And I'm the only one that's wearing a Tebow jersey. They're literally chanting and mocking me in that moment. That's literally what it can feel like at times to follow Jesus. To cheer for the away team at a home game. Jesus made it clear in John chapter 15 verse 18. If the world hates you, keep in mind it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Listen, if the world hated the love of God in human form, and he was so despised and persecuted because he shone light into dark places, because of the way he brought truth into the world, and you look anything like Jesus, don't expect the, the crowds to be chanting your name. You will meet hostility from time to time. That's what the church in Smyrna was experiencing. 
Jesus was praising them for their persecution, the persecution that they were facing in his name. Now, Smyrna was a port city that was located about 35 miles north of Ephesus, the city we were talking about last week. It's a port right on the water. It was a wealthy city, and they were famous for their production of myrrh. That's actually where they got their name from, Smyrna. And so myrrh was used for deodorant. It was, a, some, it was smelled really strong. It was used for deodorant. It was used for deodorizing dead bodies. And so the entire city of Smyrna smelt like, well, smelt like a boy's hotel room during youth conference, which you might say it was smell, probably smells like B.O., but if you've never experienced this during youth convention, if you walk into the room right after they've just gotten ready for service, because they know there's going to be some girls there, it smells incredibly like axe deodorant. Like it will choke you, kind of, that kind of, uh, you hit, the, you hit the, the wall of axe deodorant when you walk into that room. And that's what the city of Smyrna was like. They were also famous for their worship of the Emperor Nero. Archaeologists have dug up shrines and discovered engravings that said Nero is the savior of the world. Smyrna was also famous for their worship of the god Dionysus. And Dionysus was the god of wine and, and partying. So Smyrna was a wild environment. And so the Christians that lived in this city, the, the way in which they lived was countercultural, which brought on disdain, which brought on persecution. And for that, Jesus was praising them. Jesus says, I know about your afflictions. I know about the slander. I know that it's costing you financially to be associated with me. I know that they mock you. I know that your association with me brings you hardship. It even says that some would suffer, be thrown in jail, and be killed due to the passion that they had for following Jesus. Yet they stood their ground. They were determined that if they were going to suffer because of the name of Jesus, it was a price that they were willing to pay. It was their honor, it was their privilege to pay the highest price because Jesus had paid the highest price for them. Jesus praised them for their persecution. So that leads us to the question. If Jesus wrote a letter to the world, sorry, if Jesus wrote a letter to APA, would Jesus praise us for the kind of heat that would come our way because of our faith? Because the depth of your faith is often tied to the level of persecution that you face. You see, following Jesus is going to compel you to go the opposite direction of what society is saying is normal. And so if you're going to blend in with the crowd, if you're going to choose to, you will, it will cause you to compromise what Jesus has called you to do at times. But if you were to hold true to what God has called you to do, you will occasionally feel scorned because, of, because you follow Jesus and how you do that. Following Jesus will make you feel like you're a fan at an away game. But it's important that I define the type of persecution that Smyrna was praised for. Because not everything that you define as persecution would be the persecution that Jesus was praising the church of Smyrna for. Because if you're honest right now, some of you feel like you're being persecuted right now. I mean, I've heard many Christians in the last year and a bit throw that word, that, that P word around, persecution. Uh, and I can tell you right now, there's some of the things that you feel like you're being persecuted for, that Jesus would praise you for, is not the same. It just isn't. 
See, I've read and I've heard people say, we're being persecuted right now by the government. I'm forced to, be, I'm forced to wear a face mask. I've been asked to stay home as much as possible in my air conditioning and Netflix. And there's this P word, and that P word is not persecution. It's a temporary societal precaution. A precaution from a virus that has taken way too many lives. That's not the persecution that was talked about in the Bible. It was very clear what this persecution was. It was a persecution that Smyrna faced. It was a persecution that the entire first century church knew all too well. It's a persecution that churches around the world face every day across this globe. It's a persecution that Revelation talks about in Smyrna. They were persecuted first and foremost for their profession of faith. Jesus will praise you when you are persecuted for professing your faith. See, 2,000 years ago in Rome, the standard greeting through the empire was, Caesar is Lord. The Christians took a lot of flack because they would not make that declaration. Because in their eyes, there was only one person who was Lord, and that was Jesus. And so while people were saying, hail Caesar, Caesar is Lord, hail Nero, Nero is Lord, Christians would declare Caesar has authority, Nero has authority, but their position is only because the Lord allows them to hold that position. King Jesus is the only Lord that I will serve. They were persecuted for their profession of faith. Now I know this, this pandemic has been hard. Not being able to gather during this time feels oppressive. But you're not being persecuted when you declare Jesus is Lord in the midst of all of this. Who is your Lord? The, two, the true profession of your faith, is who, of who the Lord is of your life, is not made with your lips. is demonstrated by your life. So what or who really is your Lord? I, I suggest if you really want to know, you take the, the professed test. The, the professed text like pop quiz, which we all hated as a kid. But here we go. Here's a few questions that you can ask yourself to see who truly is your Lord. Question one, what are you most passionate about? What do you spend most of your time and money on? What do you get loudest about? What makes you angry? What makes you grieve? What breaks your heart? Who do you listen to most? Over the last year, what have you clung to or who have you clung to? Because who you cling to or what you cling to in crisis is actually your Christ. By answering these questions, you'll determine who really is your Lord. And I pray that we all come to this place where the answers point to Jesus. No political party is my Lord. No bank account balance is my Lord. No pill is my Lord. My Lord is Jesus Christ. The second thing that the church in Smyrna was being persecuted for was their worship. About five years ago, my family went to Darien Lake Amusement Park. And while we were there, both my kids and I decided we were going to go on one of the water slides. Jen didn't want to go on it. Now, the water slide was different than any I'd been on. It went... went it, when you go on this water slide, 
um, when it's your turn to go down, they put you in this, this sort of standing capsule type thing. You walk in, there's a platform, you stand on this capsule, they close the door, they count three, two, one, and then they drop out the bottom of the, uh, of the platform and you just get sucked down into a tube. It's almost, almost like if you've ever seen one of those um, mail chutes where you put mail in, it sucks the mail up into the next floor. It's kind of like that, but you're going, going down. And so we're getting in line. And it's a long line because it looks like a, like a really fun, like terrifying, but fun ride. And there's a sign that says that riders over a certain weight will not be able to ride the ride. Well, I'm a big guy. I've kind of seen those signs before. But I, and I realized looking at the weight and I'm like, I think I'm about five pounds over that weight limit right now. My kids are like, Dad, are you going to be overweight for this ride? And I'm like, ah, they'll never know. I'm close enough. So we get in line and we're lined up for like over an hour because it must be a good ride. And I'm thinking it better be a, a good ride because this is a long time. So we're waiting in the line and we get to the top. And right at the top, I've never seen this before. Right at the top, they have this giant weight scale. And they're making anybody who looks like they're even close to the weight limit get on this scale. And that scale would then light up green as in you're good to go or red good try buddy guess which one i got now that's bad enough because now i've turned turned away but now i have to work my way down the packed staircase of people pushing against the green like, excuse me pardon me i'm sorry and i'm trying to squeeze my all the way down and people are giving me all kinds of looks because they know either I didn't make the weight requirement, which they probably guessed, or I chickened out when I got to the top. Either way, it's so uncomfortable walking out of there. It's what it can be like to follow Jesus in this day and age. Going against the flow, pushing against the grain, heading in a different direction than everyone else while they're, they're giving you looks, and, even, and it's uncomfortable. The church in Smyrna were being persecuted because they were so countercultural. So many of the other households had so many idols that they, they set up and they put their trust in. And the Christians in Smyrna said, no, we're not putting up uh, idols. We're not putting our trust in anyone but Jesus alone. Call us strange, call us weird, call us outcasts. But we are worshiping Jesus and that brought incredible problems for them for the, from those outside the faith. The Christians, they were so different. People would mock them because they weren't like everyone else. Is there someone listening today that would decide, I'm so committed to mirroring the love of God into this world that I'm willing to go against the grain of society? That I'm willing to swim upstream against the flow of culture? Is there a teenager that's willing to say that in my school, no matter what I look like, I'm going to stand for Jesus? I don't care what I'm supposed to do. I don't care what peer pressure says. I don't care what relationships are supposed to be. I don't take my cues from peer pressure. I take my cues from Jesus. Is there a college student that's listening that would say, I know it's normal to spend these three or four years getting as crazy and wild as, as, and partying as much as possible. But I'm going to use these years to set the foundation of who I am and make as much of an impact on the people around me as possible to the glory of God. 
Is there a family that is listening that would say, our family is going to represent Jesus in our neighborhood? We're not going to contribute to the complaining and the disgruntled voices and the negativity all around us. We're going to shine light into that neighborhood. And we're going to make an impact in the lives of our neighbors. See, the Smyrna church was being persecuted because of how they loved, because of how they worshipped. The third thing they were being persecuted for was their invitation. You see, the church of, this church of Smyrna... And the church throughout history is persecuted because they invite every person from every walk of life to enter into a relationship with Jesus. We know they were facing this persecution because there's a reference to the synagogue of Satan. People who said they were Jews, but they were not. Jesus is saying this religion requires so many hoops to jump through in order to be in good standing with God, but you've missed it. And here you are, Smyrna, facing persecution because you are saying it doesn't matter what, if you're rich or you're poor. It doesn't matter what your heritage or your family name is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. It doesn't matter your color of skin. It doesn't matter who you are. You are invited to follow King Jesus. May we at APA always be willing to be criticized for that. That our doors are open to every person to discover for themselves who God really is. That we might make it easy for people to discover who God really is. Now, warning. The easy part is coming face to face with him. But the hardest part is following. But when you follow, every part of your life will be transformed. That's what happens when you hang out with a king. We need to be okay with the criticism that comes with being a church that says we aren't just for a particular type of people that talk and dress and even think like us. We are for all people. You want a tough prayer? Pray that you would receive some heat. Receive some scorn. Receive some sideways looks. Receive criticism for the way that you conduct your faith and the way that you love other people because Jesus loved you first. Let me end with this. I've heard from a number of you that are disturbed how divided this world is right now. and So much conflict and differing opinions and arguing and debate. And I'm with you. It's tiring. But let me say this publicly. Any division within the people of God is a work of the devil. If Jesus prayed for our unity... It has to be close to the heart of the Father. As people of God, we need more love, more grace, more forgiveness, more empathy, more conversations, more listening, more understanding, more letting people off the hook, more giving people the benefit of the doubt. There is no space for division in the family of God. You see, the greatest threat to the church is in the culture. It isn't the outside world, it's within. A house divided against itself will fall. But don't think you get through life and not feel division out there. Division on the earth is par for the course. In Luke 12, 51, Jesus says this himself. Do you, thi do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I've come to divide people against each other. Wait, what? Isn't Jesus all peace and love? But Jesus says, I've come to bring division. The division he's talking about is 
to divide the light from the dark, to divide the truth from the lies. Even though there will not be division within the the family of Jesus, there will be division on this earth, but the division is not meant to be rich versus poor, black versus white, political view versus political view. The division was also always meant to be Jesus versus everyone. What side do you stand on? What side do you associate with? Is the kingdom of light versus the kingdom of darkness? Will you choose to live a life? Will you choose a faith that stands with the kingdom of light? Even if it brings rejection? Will you choose love over hate? Will you choose forgiveness over over offense? Will you choose to build bridges rather than holding grudges? Will you choose transformation over complacency? Will you choose kindness over indifference? Will you choose generosity over greed? Will you choose humility over pride? It won't be easy. You may be persecuted. But that's the kind of faith that you choose to live out. That's the kind of faith that Jesus writes letters of praise about. Let me really finish with this. Polycarp was the pastor of the church in Smyrna at the time that John wrote these letters to their church. And Polycarp refused to worship anyone but Jesus. And for that, he paid with his life. The Romans took him and publicly executed him by burning him to a stake. And they, and they wanted to nail him to the stake because... That he, would be, he would experience such immense heat and such immense pain, there would be a temptation to run from the pain, run from the heat. But he said this to the Roman officials, leave me as I am, as they went to nail the, 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 these stakes into his hands. For he who grants me to endure the fire will enable me also to remain on this stake unmoved without the security you desire from nails. See, we as the church, we need that kind of courage to be able to withstand the heat that comes from preaching the name of Jesus without the temptation to run away. Here's what I want to do to close today. I'm going to, I'm going to pray for those of you who say that Jesus isn't my Lord. I mean, I, I may have confessed it with my lips, but if you watched my lifestyle, it exposes the truth. I also want to pray for those that say that Jesus is my Lord, but I still need courage because there's times where I want to, I, I duck away from the persecution. I duck away from taking the stand when the heat comes. I'm going to ask you today where you are to stand if you're able. Symbolic, symbolically with me, stand. To say in a world with so much darkness, I choose to stand for a kingdom of light. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I pray for those that are honest today and we're able to say, Jesus isn't my Lord. Uh, there, there's those that, you know, from the outside, it may seem like it, but if we took a deep dive and, and inspected a little further, we'd recognize that their actions say something else, that they serve a different Lord. And so I pray for those that maybe have never known Jesus as Lord or those who 
aren't really following him today. God, I pray that they would make a decision today that this is the turning point, that from now on I'm, I'm going to give everything and surrender everything to you and allow the transformation to begin in their lives. God, I pray also for those that declare you as Lord, and, and yet there's times where it's tough to take a stand to follow Jesus in this day and age. I pray that you would give them bravery and courage and wisdom to be able to stand when they need to stand. And God, I pray that for all of us as a church, that we would be a church that is okay with the persecution that comes when, when we profess the name of Jesus. When we make a path for those who don't know Jesus to come and discover who you really are. I pray that we'd always be that. And so God, I pray that as the church of 2021, I pray that we would be the church that is courageous enough in a world of darkness and a world that is countercultural to what, you, what you've modeled for us, that we would have that faith to be able to stand in the midst of it all. And we ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm.